Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Again, if you missed the first hour, that's where we dealt with all of the serious uh, headlines of the day. Uh, And so I'm turning now to a story that I have been following that you have likely missed. And it is the story of Joe the Pigeon. Uh, I just want, uh, for those of you who've been following the story of Joe the Pigeon, there is good news this morning. After confirming that his blue leg band was a fake, Australian authorities have relented and Joe's life has been spared. Now, for those of you who have not been following the story of Joe the Pigeon, because, frankly, your newsfeed is consumed with uh, only things here in the United States and not global intrigue related to a carrier pigeon, let me brief you in. Joe the Pigeon showed up um, in an Australian residential neighborhood Uh, in someone's backyard on Boxing Day. That would be December the 26th. Uh, He was believed to be an American racing pigeon that had uh, probably stowed away across the ocean on a ship 13,000 miles from uh, what they suspected was his home in Oregon. His discovery in Australia caused concern all the way uh, to the highest levels of the government, and Australia's agricultural department involved itself, judging Joe the Pigeon to be a biosecurity risk to the native fauna and flora. Joe, therefore, uh, now recognized as an international uh, biohazard, was set to be destroyed by the department. They also explored whether or not they could re-export the pigeon to the United States, which now, knowing what we know about Joe and knowing what we know uh, about uh, who he really is, um, that would actually have been a way for um, Australia to get some of their uh, fauna here into the United States. Just saying. All right. So in a new development just this morning, the American Racing Pigeon Union. Okay, see, who even knew that was a thing? The American Racing Pigeon Union uh, suggested, uh, having suggested that Joe the Pigeon was actually an Australian bird and not, uh, as the blue tag on his leg might indicate, an American. Um, They said that blue tag on his leg was, in fact, counterfeit. So Australia's agricultural department said uh, Joe's case was currently being investigated. It was pending as of last night. That was last night's news. As of this morning, it has been confirmed. I mean, this is important. I, I know you're thinking to yourself, why is Carmen sharing all of this? I have a point. Uh, trust me, I'll get to it. Uh, as of this morning, it's been confirmed that the blue leg tag was, in fact, a fake. And so for now, Joe's life is spared. Now, just for fun, I want you to listen to the seriousness with which this international controversy has been handled. Uh, Ms. Roberts, sport development manager for the Oklahoma-based American Racing Pigeon Union. Yes, that's a real organization. And yes, hers is a real job. Uh, Roberts has said on Friday the band was fake. 
The number belongs to a blue bar pigeon in the United States, not the bird pictured in, in Australia. Quote, the bird ban in Australia is counterfeit. It is not traceable. They do not need to kill him. Australia's agricultural department, responsible for biosecurity, uh, agreed that the pigeon dubbed Joe, by the way, for U.S. President-elect Joe Biden, was wearing a fraudulent leg band. Following an investigation, the department has concluded that Joe the pigeon is highly likely to, in fact, be an Australian, does not, therefore, present a biosecurity risk. The department said it would take no further action. So inquiring minds want to know, right? <clears throat> inquiring minds want to know. Um, who put that fraudulent leg band on Joe and for what purpose? Does Joe possibly identify as an American pigeon? Does Joe possibly identify uh, with uh, as a blue bar from the United States and not an Australian pigeon? What's going on here? Who is taking up for Joe's rights? Okay, yes, I'm having some fun with this. I'm doing so to demonstrate the challenges that we face when we begin to equate animals with people. Confuse our conversations about identity as somehow uh, not tied to biology, because, you know, it wouldn't be hard to find out what kind of pigeon Joe is. Just a little blood test would do it. Uh, just how involved the government needs to be in everything is, I think, also a question here. So a few things of note from a Christian worldview. Once we give an animal a name, and please, I mean, you know, we're the people who name our cows before we eat them. So don't, don't think I don't give an animals a name. But once you give an animal a name, you begin to anthropomorphize them. You just can't help but doing so. Um, Joe is referred to as Joe the Pigeon. And once you start referring to uh, him as Joe, you begin to think of him differently um, than as a, a creature of a species somehow uh, under the sovereignty of man versus being equivalent to him. So when it says in Genesis that Adam named all the animals, that does not mean that Adam gave them names like Joe. It means he gave them categorical names like bird and then pigeon. Animals are not humans. Remaining mindful of that fact is actually imperative for Christians. Um, so just want you to uh, be thinking about that today. And um, you can relax. Joe the pigeon uh, flies. He flies free. All right. Uh, Adam Holtz is up next from Focus on the Families, Plugged In. We'll be right back. Oh, the thing that I want most in life, the thing that I can Spread your tiny Hey, Adam Holtz is back from Focus on the Families Plugged In. Welcome back, sir. Good morning, Carmen. Are you working on the documentary for Joe the Pigeon? Because I feel like uh, there's a story there. There is a story there, and I want to push <laughs> it actually one serious step further. Good. I think there's another, another element that ties directly into the conversations you and I have every week. Uh, and mostly I just want to say anthropomorphication because it's fun to see if you can actually say it without screwing <laughs> it up because uh, that's a hard word. Um, I don't think we have a cultural identification of animals as equivalent to humans without animation, without Walt Disney, without Bugs Bunny. Um, I think you can draw a direct line between the anthropomorphication that we do and have done in movies for a hundred-ish years and stuff like people for the ethical treatment of animals, you know, the radical left-wing fringe that basically says animals are more important than humans. Uh, and I think it's fine to watch a movie that has uh, 
human-like animals, but it's. I think it would be good to have a conversation with your kids, you know, after some animated movie, and just say, "I know this sounds silly, but part of the whole animal rights thing is tied directly to the way the entertainment industry has blurred this line." And you're absolutely right to say, theologically, we've got to think carefully about this. That animals are not the equivalent of human beings. Animals don't have souls. I guess we'll find out when we get there which animals perhaps go to heaven or not. Um, I mean, it's kind of fun to think maybe they would be there, but uh, we don't know for sure. I, I guess we do have lions lying down with lambs and that sort of thing. But um, anyway, I think it's it's one of those things that is it earth-shatteringly important? Probably not, but I think it's something we take for granted and we may not really have ever thought about the possible cultural influence of a hundred years of cartoon animals. I have thought about the cultural influence um, because there's a chapter on it in my book. So there you go. Remembering Harambe. Remember Harambe, the gorilla? I don't. I have forgotten See, there you Harambe. Go. Well, no, it's okay. You don't have to remember Harambe. Um, there was a big controversy. Harambe, the gorilla, attacked a small child when the child fell into his um, enclosure at the zoo and they shot Harambe. Um, right. And there was controversy about, you know, well, Harambe is actually a member of an endangered species, and the child was not a member of an endangered species. Um, <laughs> Harambe was doing what was natural to him. The child was uh, where the child shouldn't be, and so it should have been the child and not the gorilla whose life was sacrificed. Oh, my word. Yeah, I know. I wrote but a that's chapter about kind of, That's the kind of mixed-up thinking we're talking about. A absolutely. And, absolutely. And it can go back to things that we think are totally innocuous. And the point is— you know, not to be all clutching our pearls over Bugs Bunny. That's not the point. But on the opposite side of things, the point is understanding that what we choose for our entertainment, uh, it does affect the way we think and view the world, even if that's in really small ways that maybe we've never even thought about before, which is what we try to do at Plugged In is just help people think about those things. Yes, and so let's get to the things you're talking about at Plugged In, but you and I actually have to take a very brief break before we do that. Okay. When we come back, we're going to hit some reviews for the week. I'm talking with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families, Plugged In. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families, Plugged In. All right, Adam, let's hit some reviews for this week. Yes. News of the world. News of the world. This is uh, a pretty interesting movie um, starring Tom Hanks, and he plays a guy in Texas in 1870-ish, give or take. And he travels the highways and the byways and the dusty roads and takes newspapers to small towns and reads the newspaper to them. Uh, he is basically... Uh, he's, you know, the internet in human form, <laughs> if you will. Uh, and one day on his travels, he comes across a wagon that has been, uh, well, ransacked and destroyed. And there's a guy hanging. So we know that uh, bad things have just happened here. Um, and he uh, then spies a little girl who's maybe 10-ish. But when he tries to talk to her it becomes apparent that she doesn't speak English. Well, slowly he pieces together her story, and her name is Johanna, and she has, uh, she's been kidnapped 
by the Kiowa tribe, and she was kidnapped when she was very young and grew up with them, and it's the only world she's ever known. And turns out that her tribe was slaughtered, and the man who's hanging was taking her back to her last known distant relatives in San Antonio. Uh, and at that point, Tom Hanks, as Tom Hanks is wont to do, realizes that if she's going to get back there, he's the only one who's going to be able to get her there. So uh, this is very much a Tom Hanksian, <laughs> if that's a thing, uh, a Tom Hanksian kind of movie in that it um, it gives him an opportunity to do his Tom Hanks thing. And it turns out he's a, he's a really good man, but he's got some things that he's running away from as well. There's a bit of sensual and suggestive content. Obviously, there's some violence. There's a bit of language. Um, but this is a pretty interesting film that uh, is in theaters. So there you go. So um, I, we'll come back to reviews in just a second. But I, I want to jump to this um, blog by your colleague, Paul uh, Ace. Yeah. Dementia is having a cinematic moment. What Christian families can take away from it, uh, because this is something that you guys you guys have posted at PluggedIn.com that I don't want people to miss. Talk talk about um, the cinematic moment that dementia is having, and what Christian families can take away from it. Well, there have been a number of movies that have come out recently. Um, the most recent is a movie called Relic. There's another movie called The Life Ahead, and you can find our reviews for those. Uh, and there's another movie coming out in February called The Father, starring Anthony Hopkins. Um, and all of these movies in different ways. The Relic is actually a horror movie, but the enemy here is not necessarily a typical Hollywood monster. The enemy is dementia itself, symbolically. Um uh, these are movies that are exploring this part of, of the human experience. And I think movies, when they're done well, can give us a deeper understanding of of tough issues, right? Of issues like dementia. Um, and uh, that is, is the kind of thing that, that Paul is dealing with here. And he talks about the importance of cherishing our memories, cherishing the moment. What does it mean to be human you know, if our identities are comprised of our memories, what happens to our identity when those memories start to go away, when they fade? Do we become less human? What does that mean for us? And uh, Paul, as he is so good at doing, uh, really unpacks this, even with some personal stories about relationships uh, in his life. 50 million people worldwide suffer with dementia. 60 to, yeah. 60 to 70% of those uh, with Alzheimer's specifically um, but we're talking about a lot of people and we're talking about a lot of families. 50 million people means 50 million families dealing but, with and, this particular topic. It's, it's huge. And let me say one other thing. I think sometimes as Christians, um, we it's easy for us to gravitate toward feel-good movies that don't sort of get down into these issues. But I think of all people, we're the ones that I think – should be able to tell these stories, right? Because mm -hmm. we have a hope that transcends this suffering. Uh, and so I think sometimes we don't like movies that make us really uncomfortable. And I think some of these, they're the kind of movies that make us uncomfortable because they're grappling with hard things. But, but as followers of Christ, we, of all people, should be able to deal with those hard things because we have a hope that transcends it.
One of, I mean, I'll just tell you, one of my absolutely most memorable and favorite conversations um, that I've ever had uh, on the show was with uh, Mike Glenn. He's a pastor, and he wrote a book called Coffee with Mom, Caring for mm. a Parent with Dementia. And my conversation uh-huh. with him about that experience um, is I mean, so sticky that I can recall it, right? Like that's yeah. it's, that's a lot for me to call a, a recall an author conversation because I have yeah. so many. So, um, so anyway, I think it's a really, really critical and important topic. All right, we've got time for one more review. You want to do the marksman or you want to do dig? Uh, let's do dig because I think it's going to be more accessible. Dig is or the dig is on Netflix, and there's so many things that have happened historically uh, in the uh, span of history that are pretty interesting stories that, you know, eventually they turn up and you're like, wow, that's pretty niche, but pretty interesting. This is that kind of story. This is a British period piece of sorts. It's set in 1939 in Suffolk, England. And Edith Perry is uh, a woman who realizes that there are burial mounds on her property and she wants to know what's in them. But on the verge of the war, the the professional archaeologists in England really don't have the time of day for her. And so she turns to an amateur archaeologist, Basil Brown, uh, who is played by uh, Ralph Fiennes. And it's very strange to see Ralph Fiennes with a nose. I, I don't know that I'll ever get Voldemort completely out of my system. <laughs> um, but he plays an amateur archaeologist who begins to make what ultimately becomes one of the the most significant archaeological discoveries in British history. But of course, once the professional archaeologists begin to realize how important it is, they they want to get in and muscle him out and take credit for it. So that's the central conceit here. Uh, there is some some sexual content. There's an allusion to a same sex attraction, uh, a bit of violence and a bit of profanity. Nothing that I think is going to probably be terribly off-putting for an adult audience. And and this is the kind of movie that uh, it would be a very unusual child that I think would have any interest in this one because it's it's a pretty slow-moving but thoughtful and interesting and well-acted movie. All right, we got to leave it right there. Um, Adam Holtz, thank you so much. There's a ton of stuff uh, for us to to talk about in terms of what's going on in the entertainment industry. Thank you for keeping your finger on the pulse of all of it. You guys uh, need to check out what uh, what they're doing at PluggedIn.com. It's a ministry of focus on the family. We love talking with Adam Holtz every Friday. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Carmen. Blessings. We'll be right back. Yep. The calling of the church to be the church, the calling of Christians to live authentically, the calling of leading a life worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Um, Poignant reminders today from our friend John Stone Street at the Colson Center in Breakpoint. All right. uh, My friend Karen Moore is up next. She is a a prolific author. She writes devotional uh, material she used to be uh, the person responsible for the development of the entire Care Bears, uh, uh, like the cards that featured Care Bears and stuff like that. I mean, she's a person that's really been engaged and involved in a lot of different things. She's joining us today to talk about uh, her brand new devotional. It's called It's Still Possible, 100 Reminders That God Can Do All Things. Karen Moore is up next. This is Max Lucado. How did Jesus endure the terror of the crucifixion? 
He went first to the Father with his fears. He modeled the words of Psalm 56 in verse 3. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. Do the same with yours and be honest. Do what Jesus did. Open your heart and be specific. Jesus was, take this cup, he prayed. Share the details. God has plenty of time. He has plenty of compassion. He doesn't think your fears are foolish or silly. He knows how you feel, and he knows what you need. In the case of Christ, God did not take away the cross, but he took away the fear. Who's to say he won't take away your fear? Please, don't measure the size of the mountain. Talk to the one who can move it. Hope is just a look away. Now, what were you looking at? This is Max Locato. Now I'm alive and born again, rescued from the grip of sin. All right, so a couple of years ago, um, I was invited to a Christian Leadership Alliance uh, retreat for women in leadership across the country. And one of the people who I met there was a delightful uh, woman named Karen Moore. And you can, uh, you can find her at KarenMooreAuthor.com. Uh, and she is a devotional writer. She is a woman who is passionate for Jesus and, um, and really, really adept at offering up digestible, small uh, devotionals. And so I think that for, for those who um, are looking for just, I mean, they're, they're bite-sized sometimes, an opportunity to engage with God's Word and allow uh, your spirit to be softened by Him. Um, just, I just want to make you aware of Karen if you're not already. And some of, the, of those of you listening are like, <laughs> of course everybody knows Karen Moore. She's like, like literally written more than 100 books. All right, so this year's devotional is called It's Still Possible, 100 Reminders That God Can Do All Things. I guess I would ask you, do you uh, doubt that? Do you have um, reason or cause to imagine that God cannot do all things? I'm going to actually read um, the the hundredth devotional, devotional number 100 in the book. It's called It's Still Possible. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Matthew 19, 26. Only you can define it, what it is, that thing that is still possible for you. Could be many things, of course. You might want it to be the fulfillment of a long-held dream, like uh, buying a home or moving to another part of the country. You may want to find success in your profession, finally getting the long-overdue promotion, or being acknowledged by your peers in a generous way. Well, sometimes that thing you want, the it, is not for you, but for someone else. So anyway, it goes on to talk about the it that is possible. Uh, Karen Moore is now uh, with me. She's joining us now uh, on the phone. Karen, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. It's nice to be here. Oh, it's wonderful to have you. Let's um, let's start off our conversation by actually just talking about the felt need that we have for devotional time with God. Okay. Well, you know, I love to think that we all understand that God is always with us and that he always wants to talk to us, that he loves us so much. He's, um, you know, he's pining for us to just remember he's right there with us no matter what we're going through. And I think right now I feel like it's even more timely, more significant, more important than ever that we spend time with God every morning, every afternoon, whatever time works best for us. But uh, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. 
And Karen, you know, I, I just observed that um, about you, that it feels like this is an ongoing conversation. You are um, you are quick to see and hear and experience and then help the rest of us enter into the ongoing uh, presence and very present conversation that God is seeking to have with us. Talk about um, talk about the fact that, you know, devotional time does not have to be hours on end. It, it can be relatively brief. It can be. It can be. You know, I think the minute we acknowledge God, he acknowledges <laughs> uh, his desire to be with us. And I think when we look to him, you know, we can make that connection immediately, instantly. It's, it's never a begging, a pleading, uh, you know, I wonder if God is with me. The fact is he is with us. And I think right now we all have this sense of life is just out of control. And um, we feel a little bit like everything's been disrupted and our routine doesn't feel right. And, you know, I, I was thinking about why we might feel more of a need to spend time with God. And I, and I, and I thought of the uh, song that Carrie Underwood did sometime back where called Jesus take the wheel. It's, you know, we just get to the end of everything and we just say, okay, God, I do give up. Take the wheel. Mm. <laughs> get, be in control. Help me. <laughs> and I think that does open us up to um, possibilities that, you know, there's, there, there are obviously things that are possible for God that are impossible for us. And I think mm-hmm. that leads us into the um, really just the gift that this devotional book is. It's still possible. A hundred reminders that God can do all things um, let's talk a little bit about um, about this this particular book and why it's particularly timely. Okay. Well, you know, when I wrote the book almost two years ago now, of course, I didn't even know COVID was going to happen, but God certainly did. And I didn't know what we were all going to feel like we were up against. But this Mark 10, 27 verse, you know, with men it is impossible, but not with God. So with God, all things are possible. It strikes me right now as one of the most significant things I can hold on to. Yeah, Karen writes uh, to each and all of us in the uh, in the opening page. Um, this book's dedicated to you, my beloved readers. It's yours to embrace when the future feels uncertain or you face overwhelming odds, because God has given you a spirit of strength to overcome obstacles and fear. I believe you and God are always a force to be reckoned with, uh, and together you will find all that is still possible. The conversation about that which is still possible, I think, is just critically um, important right now, Karen. Let's um, let's give people a little bit of a taste of what's in here. Would you uh, be so kind as to um, turn to uh, number 11 of the hundred reminders that God can do all things and it's still possible and just read it to us? Oh, I'd love to. Thanks. That's great. It's called Knock Down But Not Out. And the quote is from Joshua, which says, Now here I am, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was the day Moses sent me out. And I'm just as ready to fight now as I was then. The the devotion goes on to say, some days, everything feels like a challenge. You're stuck in a line of traffic as you desperately try to get to the airport. Your flight is canceled. The next one is hours away. Your boss has no sympathy for your situation and expects you to work some kind of miracle. You're knocked down, but you're not out. 
This passage from Joshua is a great reminder to those of us who find excuses, reasons for why we haven't moved forward or why we've given up the fight to accomplish what we know God has placed on our hearts. We might say we're too old or we're too busy or we're too out of shape to get back in the game, but it might be that the one key area of our lives that is out of shape is our attitude. Joshua lived to fight, not just because he was a scrapper, but because he was a man on a mission. No matter how old he was or what his circumstances looked like, he had things to accomplish for God, and he did not make excuses. You may feel you don't have any fight left in you. You're spent. You're overwhelmed with life, and nothing about it seems easy. So what do you do? Perhaps you take a note from Joshua. And you show back up for your life. You prepare for the fight with all you've got. You don't do it for yourself because you already know that you can't fight any battle alone. You do it for God, letting him know you're still there, still ready to do his will. God is willing to give you the strength you need if you're willing to give him the courage of your convictions. He will build you up, renew your spirit, lead you to victory. Tell him you're still willing and able to take up his cause. You may be down, but you're not out when God is on your side. Your willingness to move forward is all that's necessary for the God of what's possible to guide you toward your heart's desires. I just love it, Karen. Um, Thank you so much. We're talking with Karen Moore about her brand new devotional. It's still possible. A hundred reminders that God can do all things. We're going to take a very brief break and then we will continue the conversation. All right, I am talking with Karen Moore. Uh, you can find her at KarenMooreAuthor.com. Tons of great resources there, including the book we're talking about today, It's Still Possible, A Hundred Reminders That God Can Do All Things. Karen, you um, this is your lived experience. Like in addition to this being uh, what the scripture av- absolutely declares to be true, what we witness the people of faith experiencing generation to generation, this is also your lived experience. Um, if you're willing to do so, talk a little bit about you, about your personal experience in in 2020 and living into you know what what the infinite possibilities of God might be. Okay, well. Like everyone, uh, this life uh, that I'm in has its ups and downs, and I I think, like Joshua, I have to understand that my strength is not in me. Uh, My strength is in God. I have to understand that with God, opportunities are endless. Promises are still there to be kept. Um, This past year, in terms of ups and downs, um, it just was a whirlwind. It was terribly significant. Um, I lost both of my parents in 2019, uh, rather unexpectedly. Um, I discovered that my husband, who had had a major surgery in March, had to have another major surgery in December, uh, wasn't expecting any of that. And actually that particular, this, this second surgery meant that we moved very quickly and with God's help, we moved very quickly from Nashville to Savannah area, 
um, so that we could be closer to the Mayo Clinic because he was having surgery December 18th. We didn't find this out until the end of November. Uh, we moved on December 10th, uh, got here and said, now we're closer, now he can be here for recovery. Uh, and we couldn't have done it honestly if we did not believe God was with us every step of the way. He closed doors, he opened doors, he reminded us of who he is and that he's much bigger than all the things we are facing. It's been a year of change and uncertainty um, for all of us. Um, and each one of us has, you know, a, a different list of of the kinds of things that you have just articulated um, for the for the year that's passed. Um, in the midst of all of that, you not only published a book, but my guess is you've written at least another um, because that's that's who you are and how you're wired. Um, you've also, um, you know, you've also started your own publishing company. Like there, you've you've been busy. I mean, God has been at work in the midst of all of it. Um, and again, I just want to uh, just direct everybody who's inter- interested. KarenMoreAuthor.com is where you can find um, d- well, just a lot of wonderful resources from Karen and more about her if you want to connect directly with her. Karen, um let's uh let's play what if. Okay. All right, so that's uh that's number 52 in it's still possible 100 reminders that God can do all things. Um do you have that one and if so, um can we can we read it? Uh we can. We can. I I also will point out that for me number 39 which is called invisible support was one of the ones that helped me through this year. <laughs> Well then, let's read that one. Let's uh, let's oh, let's okay. read number. Yeah, yeah. I'm you know I'm flexible. It's a com- it's a conversation. We can go wherever you want. Invisible support. First Timothy one seventeen. And this one, you know, during during all of the surgeries, during the moving, during packing, unpacking all these things, this particular one brought tears to my eyes, and I think just because I I knew it meant God was speaking right to me. Uh, Invisible support, now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, the honor and glory forever and ever, amen. God is your invisible means of support. You may have people in your life who offer moral support, emotional support, and maybe even financial support, but not one of those people can support you quite the way God can. You hear his voice in your heart and soul, and you trust that he walks with you each day. When faith convicts you of God's presence, it raises the bar of your belief system. It taps into those things that seem impossible for others and reminds you that nothing in this world is God's equal. You believe the unbelievable because you've witnessed it with your own eyes. You've seen people healed of disease, witnessed someone's triumph over drug abuse, and noticed God's hand at work in ways that no human being could accomplish alone. As a faithful witness to the invisible God and as a believer in the unbelievable, you are a prime candidate to receive the impossible. You make room for God in places where others have already shut the door. You know his name and he knows yours. It's a mutual friendship and a relationship you both count on. When you doubt that good things are still possible for you, call on the God of your heart, the invisible, the invincible, and the everlasting. He supplies all your needs. It's an amazing dynamic that only those with eyes to see and ears to hear can understand. So 
Some rely on virtual reality or stories they see on reality TV, but you know, there's only one reality, the reality of Jesus, the God, of, the Son of God, holding the door open for you. You have an incredible means of support. To God be the glory. Each one of these devotionals also includes um, a few sentences of prayer. So I'm wondering, um, uh, we didn't do this when uh, when we read the first one, but um, Karen, would you offer up this prayer um, for number 39, and it's still possible? Absolutely. Lord God, I know you are supernatural, invisible, and unable to be seen face-to-face, and I trust you. You have spoken to my heart. Help me to recognize your hand at work in my life and heal me of my brokenness. Help me move forward into all that is still possible. Amen. Amen. Um, One of the resources that you offer at KarenMoreAuthor.com is Got 10 Minutes for God. I actually love this practice. So um, I know that it's a little off topic for uh, the It's Still Possible conversation we've been having. But can you invite people um, into the Got 10 Minutes for God experience? You know, the reason I did that book, my hope with those books, in fact, I, I did the I did a guided devotion for 30 days. And the hope there is that if you just start, if you take 10 minutes and spend 10 minutes with the God who desperately wants to be with you um, and just get it into practice, try it once a day for 30 days, I believe you'll be hooked. I believe you'll be so excited about what you are learning from God and what he's sharing with you that you'll never want to stop. You'll always want to spend time with him in the morning. Um, so I, I wrote these books to help people get started in case, you know, sometimes we think, uh, I can't do it. I just don't have time. I'm too busy. I'm too, you know, I've tried it before. And sometimes people will say to me, but I just don't really know what to do. You know, okay, so I'm supposed to spend quiet time or I'm supposed to take a few minutes and spend time with God, but what do I do? So these books, Got 10 Minutes, really were designed for to help anyone just revisit that experience and get back into it again. They're they're delightful. They're some of my favorites. All right. Got 10 minutes. Um, Some of my favorite uh, conversations that uh, Karen Moore provokes in my own life. You can find her and all that she's written um, and what she's working on now at KarenMoreAuthor.com. Moore is M-O-O-R-E. KarenMoreAuthor.com. Karen, my my sweet friend, um, blessings upon you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Carmen. It was delightful to be with you. Likewise, we'll be right back. All right, I want to close this day, this conversation, and this week with a few verses of Scripture uh, on the topic of peace and then pray us out for peace this weekend. Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He goes on in John 16, verse 33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. 
Holy God, we come before you as brothers and sisters in Christ um, after some very trying uh, hours, days, and even now more than a week in our nation. Um, We come before you as people seeking peace, seeking peace in our land, seeking peace over Jerusalem, seeking peace in our own hearts, seeking peace in our relationships. And we know, Father, that it all starts, it all starts with the peace we find in you, in Jesus Christ. Grant us that peace which passes all understanding and and create in us a desire to be people who sow peace and be peacemakers in the world around us that you so love. Keep us in your perfect peace as our minds are stayed on you. We trust you, Father. Amen. My friends, make it a great weekend. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.